Coming up on this week's show, Deanna Wadsworth is here as part of the 2016 GRL blog tour, and I'm talking hockey romance with Michael Vance Gurley, author of The Long Season. Welcome to the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for readers and writers of gay romance fiction. If you can read it, write it, watch it, or listen to it, these two guys are going to talk about it. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Adams and Will Knauss. Welcome to episode 42 of Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamswrites.com. And I'm Will from willcanals.com. So, how's it going? It is fine. I uh, I wasn't completely in the mood to do this, but for some reason we've been cracking each other up, and now I'm, I'm feeling downright perky. <laughs> awesome. I like, I like it when you're perky. <laughs> you have some uh, editorial news. Uh, a couple of bits of to news. To share with our listeners. Uh, somewhere on Mackinac, finally going to get out the door. Yay! Uh, by the time this podcast actually drops on Monday morning, it will wow. be submitted. So, excellent. Yeah. Plus, Love's Opening Night, which I had accepted and contracted a couple weeks ago, has gone into editing a little early. So, it's looking good to get out by the end of this year. No cool. no set date yet, but uh, we'll, oh, as soon as I have that, I'll get it uh, out to everybody. Cool. Now, you have news for folks. You have news to use. Well, ne- well sort of news to use. First... I want to show off my brand new hardcover edition of Valley of the Dolls. Uh, I've mentioned this in a previous podcast. Uh, I have finally received my copy, and it is more beautiful than I could have ever asked for. The can jacket. You just, can is, you just show off the pretty page, the pretty the, the binding, the, I mean the the pages. The jacket is beautifully redesigned, black, gold, and pink. It's got these beautiful hot pink end pages. So pretty. Um. The uh, book cover itself has got this faux crocodile with pink uh, sequin dots on it. Uh, So the book itself is beautiful. And for the 50th anniversary edition, there are some new additions up front. Uh, First of all is an introduction by Simon Doonan. Uh, and it's hilarious because it's Simon. Um, (laughs) Then there is a short contextual essay from the estate of Jacqueline Suzanne. Sort of gives you a brief history of dolls and uh, what it has meant to pop culture. And then, for for the first time published anywhere, there is a short essay by Jackie herself. It's called, My Book is Not Dirty. Uh, presumably, this was probably an op-ed piece or was meant to go into a magazine at some point, but never made it to print. And Jackie vehemently uh, defends her work as not being filth or trash. And uh, it shows the real behind-the-scenes look of what Hollywood life is all about. So, if you have never read Valley or have owned a copy of the book, I highly recommend uh, this new hardcover. Uh, it would be a great addition to anyone's library. So that's a ring endorsement for me. It is. <laughs> and I think the third copy of Valley you own between the it is, earlier actually. trade paperback that came out and one of the original paperbacks. Yes, I do. I have three. And I won't actually, do I still have it? I have the book on cassette tape. Oh my goodness. Least, I think you do still have that somewhere. I, or at least in the I box. had it at some point. I'm not sure where it is at the moment. Um, do you remember who read it? Some guy who didn't know how to pronounce Tony Pilar's name. Oh, dear. No, it was some lame woman who kept calling him Tony Polar. And it was like, no! No! (laughs) Drove me up the wall. Anyway, um, so moving on. uh, This past week um, was um, RWA. Mm -hmm. In San Diego. Mm -hmm. We mentioned that, I believe, in last week's episode. We mentioned the Reader Awards ever so briefly last week. uh, One other thing worth noting is one of the presentations at RWA was by Data Guy uh, from Author Earnings. And uh, what's really terrific is he did this presentation based on the data from the spring, uh, I guess, edition of the Author Earnings Report. And what he did is he drilled down really, really deep and gave you all the... Uh, fascinating, dirty details <laughs> of what's going on in the romance subcategory on Amazon. Some of the most important takeaways from his presentation are that 89% of all romance sales are digital. Um, 
Now, we've always known that romance readers are voracious, mm-hmm. and we've always known that they were early adopters for ebooks uh, because uh, it's easier to cart around a small device than it is a giant library of books. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that is a ginormous number. Yes, it is. I don't think anyone could have ever guessed it would have been. Uh, nearly ninety percent of. I was all... thinking more seventy-five was kind of where I had it. Yeah, but yeah, that's yeah. that's huge. Speaking of seventy-five, seventy-five percent of paid U.S. ebook sales happen on Amazon.com, which is another ginormous number. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've always known, of course, that Amazon is the biggest player in uh, independent publishing. Uh, but I don't think anyone could have ever really guessed the number was that huge. And especially for romance, where you where you know that there are people who are voracious to places like uh, all romance ebooks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all 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 the other players in the industry make up twenty five percent. So uh, Amazon is the definite leader. Um, he also broke down some of the numbers in the popular romance subgenres. Now, the LGBT category uh, sat comfortably in the middle of romance between the anthologies and uh, erotic romance. So it's hanging out pretty comfortably in the middle, which is good news. Um, On Amazon, the LGBT romance category isn't broken down into traditional subcategories like, you know, uh, gay paranormal romance or gay... Uh, suspense or like you know they yeah, are in regular regular quote-unquote romance mm-hmm. um, they're only broken out into four subcategories which are of course gay lesbian bisexual and transgendered uh, no big surprise uh, gay outsells uh, all the other categories uh, by a very large margin uh, lesbian and bisexuals uh, romances are pretty even with the transgender romance uh, falling, uh, uh, I don't want to say dead last, but you know it, it does not perform nearly as well as the other mm-hmm. uh, subcategories. Another interesting uh, tidbit worth noting for our author friends listening, that, um, <clears throat> that contemporary romance outsells all other categories massively. Um, that's not really a surprise. But what was interesting is that he has a graph and he breaks it down uh, and it shows that uh, contemporary doesn't necessarily make authors the most money. New adult college romances, military romances, and sports romances actually eat, each make more Per title for their author than uh, than romances in the contemporary category. Now this is probably because the contemporary category is so large an umbrella term, and there are a lot more authors and a lot more titles in that specific category, um, and it means that there are fewer authors. Uh, writing in the new adult, military, and sports categories, but there's still a voracious audience for those books. Mm-hmm. So those authors are actually making more than their uh, um, contemporary counterparts. Yeah, yeah. So those are interesting numbers. Uh, and comparatively, um, earnings per title when it comes to LGBT romance um, are still a, a pretty healthy market. Um, this is only a small, small portion. I wanted to speak to the the gay romance uh, readers and writers out there. Um, if you're interested, especially if you're an independent uh, author who uh, publishes themselves, uh, make sure you go to authorearnings.com and check out this report and go through all of it. There's a ton, a ton of information. Uh, it's really fascinating stuff. Yeah, we'll link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, speaking of the show notes, uh, this is the last week for the poll, uh, where we're trying to find out who you, our listeners, are. Whether you're an author, a reader, or an author slash reader, take a moment, click on that poll in this week's show notes. Time now for the GRL Guest Author Spotlight. We're happy to welcome Deanna Wadsworth to the podcast as part of the official 2016 GRL blog tour. 
Vienna might be a best-selling erotica author, but she leads a pretty vanilla life in Ohio with her wonderful husband and a couple of adorable cocker spaniels. She's been spinning tales and pinning stories since childhood, and her first erotic novella was published in 2010. When she isn't writing books or brainstorming with friends, you can find her making making people gorgeous at a beauty salon. She loves music and dancing, and in between all that fun, she cherishes, cherishes the quiet time when she can let her wildly active imagination have full run of her mind. Her fascination with people and the inner workings of their relationships have always inspired her to write romance with spice and love without boundaries. Thanks for being with us today, Deanna. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I'm doing good, thanks. How are you doing today? I'm not too bad. It's a little hot here in Ohio, but I can stay inside my air conditioning. <laughs> so to get to your books, you've had two new ones this uh, spring in your One Night Stand series. Uh, tell us about the series and those new books, uh, Finding His Fantasy and Too Good to Be True. Well, One Night Stand is a multi-author series that Decadent Publishing puts out. I have written uh, five currently, and I have a good friend of mine, Wendy Burke. She writes um, straight romances, and our characters kind of overlap each other's books. And so basically the series concept is you have this mysterious woman named Madam Eve, kind of picture of Mr. Rourke from Fantasy Island, and she owns a fantasy dating agency. So each of the characters in these stories are kind of looking for um, something, so they hire this dating agency, when of course they find true love, because it's fiction. Um, Finding His Fantasy is um, about an art gallery owner named Paul. He's a bit pretentious. Some reviewers haven't really liked him, but I adore him. And he hires Madame Eve because he's tired of the swing and single life and one-night stands. So he hires an agency called One Night Stand. Ironic, right? And he meets this gorgeous Haitian guy down in Turks and Caicos named Yosef. And they make a cameo in the beginning of Too Good to Be True because the hero from Too Good to Be True, Tim, is a security agent who is working at Paul's art gallery. So they, they kind of connect a little bit, and they're very sexy. Oh, and Too Good to Be True totally has a foot fetish sex scene in it. It's my first. <laughs> nice. So how did you two concoct this series? What was the inspiration for, the, for this series of overlapping books? Um, I was cutting her hair, and we were just talking, and probably appalling the people sitting in the chair next to us because <laughs> I have because I have like we've had little brainstorming sessions like when we do hair or go have lunch and I'll be like she's like yeah I don't know I think the priest is gonna be her you know friend and I'm like you should totally kill the priest and like you know people down are like what is wrong with those people so we just <laughs> kind of laughed and uh, I ended up. Uh, the first book I wrote was Bear It All, and the hero was a, uh, a bear named John. And I had casually mentioned he had a sister in his story, so she took his sister and wrote a story about her. And then that one night stand book had a concierge named Martin in the hotel. And so I sold him for my book, Accidentally Beautiful. And we just kind of, it's really fun because we're writing characters that really don't belong to us, and then we make them ours. So Paul from Finding a Fantasy was originally, um, Wendy wrote a Christmas story called Wise Men Say um, about a woman whose husband had been MIA and Paul was her, and she was an artist, and Paul was her best friend and she just made him this just wildly rich, flamboyant man and I just fell in love with him so I wrote his story. But she really kind of created him. It's, it's a, a fun writing exercise actually. How much back and forth do you two have, like, when you take one of her characters or she takes one of yours, or is it just a matter of you just pick it up and go? Um, we kind of pick it up and go, but we're also critique of too. And I'll be, like, she'll do a story. Like, for instance, her story, Hasty Back, was the continuation of my book, Accidentally Beautiful. And you get a sneak peek of my two heroes, Martin and Garrett in this Scottish pub, and she wrote up the scene, and I'm like, oh, Garrett would never say that because he's a total dumb. So I, like, tweaked his dialogue. And, you know, 
and too good to be true. Tim is actually moving in with uh, this older woman he's friends with because he's broke. And, uh, you know, she didn't like the fact that her name was Marie, so she changed it to Rita. And she's the one who basically flushed out everything about her, but when I write the dialogue, she'll be like, oh, yeah, that's funny. She would say that, you know. Just, <laughs> it's just sort of the symbiotic thing, and we have, we're good friends, and we just have a great time with it. And I love how you merged it into your work, because some of these discussions happened while you're working on her hair and the beauty salon. Oh, yeah. I mean, I as, as much as I would love to be a full-time writer, I do really enjoy my clientele. I mean, I call them my council of wise women, because not very many people get to be friends with such a diverse group of people. And... You know, it kind of gives me inspiration for story ideas, too, the crazy things people tell me. The current book I'm working on is called The Rhubarb Patch, and it's sort of a city mouse, country mouse story, and all of the bizarre gardening little stories that are in the book are, like, true because they're ones clients have told me over the years. For instance, one of my dear friends, her aunt was a nun who lived in a convent up on Lake Michigan, and when she and her sisters were little, she would teach her to go out into the garden with the tomatoes and take her ring finger and touch all the yellow tomato flowers, sort of pollinating them, and she called it hand-screwing the tomatoes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you can't make that stuff up. (laughs) So that ended up in the, I mean, a nun teaching her little nieces hand-screwing the tomatoes. It's just hilarious. So, you know, I get to hear all these crazy, quirky stories, and not all of them specifically end up into a book, but they do spark my imagination. And how could that comment not spark imagination? Right? (laughs) I can't wait for my editor. I'm not going to tell her that some of the stuff's true because I can't wait for her to, like, correct me. Because I'll be like, okay, well, that actually is true. So did it happen? (laughs) So... Naughty Cupid is another of your bestsellers. Uh, tell us what's behind that book. Naughty Cupid is a first-person story uh, about a Cupid named Leo. And I sort of created this absurd version of mythology and the real world. Like, there's an international dimension, interdimensional association of Cupids, the IDAC, and they have a gay division and a straight division, and Leo works in the gay division, and the gay arrows are weaker, and he is very disgruntled about the the organization, which is very, like the FBI, sort of, all rules and procedures, and he has acquired an illegal gaydar device, so he's, like, scanning closeted gay people and shooting them with his gay lust arrows just to kind of stir up trouble. And uh, he gets caught by an Aztec god of the wind who works in the straight division of the IDAC. And they have this immediate attraction. It's very, like, out of, like magical and out of control and sexy. And, and, uh, but Leo is a big potty mouth and very sarcastic and... They just have this, end up having this crazy adventure, and there's lots of gods, you know, Aztec gods coming in and threatening to rip people's hearts out, and, you know, but then funny things like Dionysus Catering Company, which, (laughs) you know, just goofy things like that, that uh, end up being sort of a story about uh, how love is love, because Ethan is straight. The Aztec god Ethan, he's straight, or so everyone thinks. So it's sort of got this underlying theme that was actually pretty accidental on my part. It's just what everybody seemed to pick up on, and I kind of flushed it out a little more. But it's it's pretty fun, and there's some sad things in there, too, but for the most part, it's just sexy and funny. Nice. It sounds a lot of fun. (laughs) <laughs> the Dionysus Catering Company. I mean, yeah, I have I have a disclaimer on the first page that says that if you're a stickler for rules, you should probably skip the book because I've bastardized everything. And, you know, but if you like time travel, penis piercings, and hot sex, then you'll like the story. <laughs> <laughs> so we, you've talked a little bit about uh, uh, Rhubarb Patch. You want to tell us a little bit more about that and some other anything else that's coming up for you? Um, well, that is the only book 
that I have two books that I'm working on, but this one uh, took precedence. Um, it's actually, uh, in a nutshell, it's a, a young guy inherits his um, dead grandmother's house, but he did not know his grandmother very well, and he uh, moves out there, and this, he has a very eclectic neighbor named Phineas. He gardens all the time. He's He's just an odd, quirky character. You know, uh, the the city guy's name is Scott, and he doesn't understand how this guy could be a Republican. And he's just like everything that Scott doesn't understand. And he has this old, old dog named Sister Mary Catherine, who uh, is a schnauzer that used to live with his aunt, who uh, lived in a convent. So see how I twisted that little story in there. And Sister Mary Catherine is actually a friend of mind uh schnauzer that passed away last year and uh um and uh i lost my dog this year and uh which is pretty awful so we won't talk about that but i am going to probably make either readers hate me or cry because i think there's going to be some sad dog parts in the story (laughs) but i'm hoping it's going to be funny too i don't know sometimes um I, I don't know. I either write really funny or really sad. <laughs> so I'm hoping this book has a twist of each, you know, sort of a it's, a... it's got a lot of mortality woven through the story. I think a friend of mine, I said last year, I um I also write young adult under the name Katie Worth, and I wrote a story about a, called The Grim Life, about a teenage boy that was going to kill himself, and the Grim Reaper that saved his life. So that book's pretty sad. And actually, Noni Cupid has some really sad parts in it. And I told my friend, I go, is this because, like, I'm depressed and morbid, or are my characters making me this way? And we decided it's just like a chicken or the egg thing. Like, I don't know. If I'm writing funny, then I'm funny. If I'm writing dark, then I'm dark. Whether it's me or I guess I'll never know. I, I, t- I tend to agree with Chicken of the Egg on that one. It just kind yeah. Of, yeah. They, they follow knows? each other, I think. Yeah, exactly. So right now I'm writing a gardening story during gardening season, you know, about a weird guy who has a 16-year-old dog. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you looking forward to in Kansas City? Oh, just being around everybody. I mean... It's, have you gone to GRL before? Because I missed last year. Yeah, we've been to everyone except uh, the first one in New Orleans. Oh, okay. Then I've probably met you because I think I meet everybody there, but I just don't remember names necessarily until I see their faces. Yeah, we're but horrible with that too. <laughs> but I think that's the best part about GRL is it's like you make all these friends for this like magical weekend where – Everybody is talking about the same things. Like, you know, I it, to most people I know, it's weird that a straight, side-gender white woman writes gay romance novels. But when I go to GRL, it's like, oh, I get to talk about my favorite thing all the time. And just, it's such a wonderful, accepting, fun weekend. And come on, the costume parties are great. Well, yeah, they really are. I'm always haunted by the costume party because I don't, I don't costume well. <laughs> but these people who show up in the elaborate outfits, it's like, wow. Yes, I'm definitely thinking that I might win the Somewhere in Time party for most original costume because what I'm planning is pretty weird, and I don't know if anyone else will do it. I'll be super disappointed if they do, but, you know. Okay, know well, I'm interested. I'm interested to see what you what you what you wear now. So I look forward <laughs> I to that. I just thought of it. I just thought of it yesterday. I just gotta, you know, find the right outfit to because uh, I can't sew. So I gotta find the right pieces and coerce someone else into sewing parts for me. I bet there's somebody at your beauty salon who will take care of that for you. Yeah, probably. <laughs> So uh, what's the best way for folks to keep up with you online? Oh, I'm on Facebook a lot. Um, I don't have a – I do more on my personal Facebook page, so uh, which is, I mean, just Deanna Wadsworth. 
And then I have an author page that you can like that's um, Deanna Wadsworth, I think, slash author. Um, I do have a Twitter. I'm on Pinterest a lot, too, and Instagram as Deanna Wads on Instagram. But, uh, yeah, mostly Facebook, I would say. I, I try to keep my website updated, but it's so much work. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Well, we will link up to all those things in the show notes so people can uh, find your books and keep up with everything. Awesome. Deanna, it was awesome talking to you, and I uh, look yes, forward to seeing fun. you in, uh, and reconnecting in Kansas. Thank you, and thank you for hosting me. You can follow the GRL blog tour by going to gayromlit.com slash 2016 blog tour. And a reminder, of course, for those of you following the GRL tour, we do have the 7-inch Fire tablet we're giving away that's packed with e-books. Uh, so go and uh, hit the raffle copter on this week's show notes so you can uh, participate and get your entries. This week's word of the week is fantasy to key off of the title of one of Deanna's books. So make sure you get that into the raffle copter this week. I had an awesome time talking to Michael Vance Gurley. We talked way too long. So we do have a bonus track that we'll talk about at the end of this interview. But uh, his debut novel, The Long Season, uh, talks about hockey in 1926 at the formation of the Chicago Blackhawks and two players who discover that they might have something uh, for each other going on that season. So let's get to Michael's interview. It's our pleasure to welcome Michael Vance Gurley to the podcast. Michael was born in Chicago and grew up and worked in the shadow of Capone's house in a union hall where he first discovered a love of gangsters and the Roaring Twenties. Michael has worked with special needs children for nearly 20 years, and his work with young adults led to a love of YA books, but he was raised with classic horror, beat poetry, and comics. As a winner of a Pitchapalooza author event, Michael received some helpful guidance for his first novel, The Long Season, which is among the best books I've read this year. He still lives in Chicagoland, and despite it being cliche, gets asked about gangsters whenever traveling abroad. Thanks for being here, Michael. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a great pleasure. Like I said, Long Season is one of my very favorite books uh, of the year so far. I'm glad it uh, got onto my book list. Oh, that was great to hear out loud. <laughs> <laughs> Tell our listeners about The Long Season. Well, the uh, uh, and again, thanks, Jeff, for having me here. It's, uh, it's exciting, and uh, especially it's exciting because... Uh, your hat trick uh, book. I've only read the first one, and, I, and I'm I'm uh, can't wait for the rest of them. It's so incredible. It's nice to be compared to to that book, um, among others in our field. But that's a very good book. So uh, kudos to you on that as well. Thank you for that. Uh, yeah, the long season is um, it's it's a book about uh, a closeted hockey player uh, in the 1920s who comes from a farm town uh, in Delavan, Wisconsin. And gets drafted to uh, at first a minor team in Milwaukee, which is the big city for him, and then he gets drafted into the Chicago Blackhawks in their very first formation year, 1926. So here's this farm boy who goes to the big city and is just kind of fish out of water at first, and he's got this giant secret that he's hiding, and then he meets uh, what he hopes to be at some point the love of his life, uh, the goalie Jean Paul Moreau. And we learn about his journey in um, a relationship with Jean-Paul and what's that like in the 20s for, for uh, gay young men. Uh, is there places, are there places for them to go and, and what will they do? And, and can they even have relationships you know, in, in, in a very closeted world? Uh, so that's the crux of the, uh, of the story. And it follows them through an entire year of uh, hockey the full season, which of course is the long season, because as any hockey fan knows, hockey has actually a very long season, and then it has a second season, which is almost as long, uh, in order to get to the Stanley Cup. Mm -hmm. So we mentioned in your bio, you know, the love of gangsters and the twenties, and I know your love of hockey. And in fact, for the for the folks watching the video feed, they they see the Chicago Blackhawks jersey hanging on the wall behind you. Uh, how did you decide to blend all this together to get your inspiration for this book? You know, um, it, by the way, the jersey's uh, signed by Dennis Savard. The Savoie Fair is everywhere. Uh, he's one of my favorite players um, who I got to meet. Um, so, so you know, I, I love um, I love you know so many different things. Like like any 
any reader, voracious reader, you love so many different things, and then you're thinking about, I want to write my first book, and I, I want it to, to, to you know, represent something really interesting to me. And like I mentioned, growing, growing up in Cicero and, and uh, around all the Al Capone stuff and gangsters, and I started to enjoy, and Chicago has this rich history of um, gangsters, obviously, with Al Capone, and um, all that comes together with... Um, um, just the Roaring Twenties pizzazz and the whole F. Scott Fitzgerald vibe, and I just I love that stuff. And I'm a huge hockey nut, um, and of course, gay rights are an incredibly important issue to me. Uh, I marched in uh, the uh, Equality for Marriage um, in Chicago, which was supposed to just be a little rally, and it turned into a march where we took over the streets peacefully, um, and uh, with these you know fabulous eight foot drag queens walking down. <laughs> Michigan Avenue taking it over, being fantastic, and then and then the next year, uh, who, you know, who knew that we would get marriage equality, uh, which is amazing. Never thought in my lifetime. So I wanted to put all that together. These amazing coming out stories that are out there um, uh, that that I just wanted to put my mark out there as well. I wanted to do something that was very interesting to me. I, I didn't honestly didn't think there would be a lot of. Um, I wrote it for me because I didn't think there'd be a lot of um, market out there for gay hockey stories. You know, I, I know that through research, there there are a plethora of books in that genre. Um, I'm not going to say that that when I started writing it, there weren't as many because th there were several out there. But when I started uh, f almost five years ago in my research, there were far fewer. Uh, it, it's kind of exploded, I think, and it's not because of me. Mine just came out. So it's really incredible that my passion is also a lot of other people's passion, which is really cool. Yeah, there's, there's, it certainly has exploded. Uh, when I wrote the first hat trick, uh, I didn't see any YA hockey books out there, which is why I picked kind of that niche. And then over time, there, there's been so many more. But this, this is certainly the first historical one that I've seen because um, mostly it's modern day. Uh, athletes. Yeah. Yeah. I think it might be the only historical one. And, and uh, we can talk about that more later. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the hat trick might be the only one that I can think of that that's YA, you know, senior year of high school. And uh, I'm, I'm so curious, we can maybe talk later, but I'm so curious about um, how, how it'll progress now that it's going to become I guess you'd call it new adult in, in Hat Trick 2, and then probably new adult slash adult in Hat Book 3, I, I, Hat Trick 3. I wonder how the, you know, the scenes will, you know, evolve, so. Yeah, it's, it's it was, it was interesting to, you know, track that. Because mm. I understand that I broke a few rules in some ways, keeping my same, my central couple the same in the three <laughs> books, but I, I, I had a story to tell, you know, in the long run. Uh, but we can we can circle back to that at some point if we want to, because I want to keep going kind of down sure. the the historical path and why. I guess you you chose to go historical, which is a little outside the norm for an athlete story, as far as I can tell. And then also kind of how you researched everything to get all of this right. Oh yeah, or at least I assume it's right. <laughs> really have a context, but I assume you did that. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that's the interesting thing about, about writing historical fiction is, is that um, sometimes there is a plethora of information out there about your topic, and, and then you, you are um, handcuffed or pigeonholed in that into you either have to make a decision, I, I don't care about that and do whatever you want, or I'm going to stick to it, and then and then there's so many people out there that know so much more than you do about your topic. Um, gay life in the 20s in Chicago isn't one of those categories where there's a plethora of information out there. People have done research. I actually looked at several good books um, that I found through my research and uh, articles that have been written, and uh, um, the uh, I believe it's Newberry Library has a collection of stuff, but it isn't like general Roaring Twenties information. So I had no idea what life was like for a gay person, LGBT people in the Roaring Twenties in any city, let alone Chicago. Uh, I had no idea 
the tower town where the water tower is now, which is a huge shopping district now, was a huge bohemian area for lots of these underground uh, speakeasies at the time because of prohibition of um, uh, poets and, and artists and musicians and uh, gay people and lesbians and um, communists and Bolsheviks and anybody that had a different kind of thought, socialists and, you know, the, all that was a no-no, you know. And then they found a place in Tower Town, which is so downtown Chicago. It was kind of amazing to me and really cool. So research played a huge part. And I spent a lot of time looking at it. And, and of course, going down the Internet and not writing because I've spent so much time. <laughs> I'm a history buff, so I kind of got sidetracked. <laughs> and you had to not only deal with Chicago, but you traveled because they went to Montreal. They went to New York. Yeah. To, to go and play hockey. Um, so you had to do some research about these other places, too. Yeah, yeah. And, and that was mostly just internet research. And I, I tried to, uh, you know, it's fiction. So, you know, I say right off the bat, like, you know, the, so there's, there's Chicago Blackhawks, there's Chicago, there's hockey, there's the Marshall Field family, there's, you know, Montreal Canadiens and, and all those things that are out there in, in real Mine is fiction, so if, if I mess something up, hey, it's fiction, um, you know, which is okay. Um, but I did a lot of research, but I tried to cross-reference every fact I tried to use with another site, at least get two different views and not Wikipedia, you know, because anybody can change that. Um, so, yeah, I just tried to do a lot of research. I found this amazing culture in, in Detroit and um, Montreal and Toronto and New York um, – uh, gay subcultures that had grown up in the 20s, you know, anytime there's like a boom financially where um, the people don't, I don't want to get political, but where people don't have to blame a group in order to gain traction politically, those groups can then thrive. So in the 20s is one of those times where um, gay rights groups were squashed pretty quickly, but gay inclusion in some clubs was, was available. How did you, and this must play to the research too, decide how both Brett and Jean-Paul behave in this atmosphere and how they grew up and what their individual baggage were, essentially? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that, I think maybe if I'm reading you right, the, the root of the question is, like, how did I decide how they would behave? Sure, that's a much better way to put it. It's, well, I mean, your sound is so much more intelligent, but, <laughs> but um, you know, the thing I found, and, and I don't know if this means I'm a good writer or, or, or I'm pompous, I'm not sure, but I feel like that the, the, the characters, when you start to develop them, uh, if you really have a good fleshed out character, they start to tell you what they're going to do. They start to tell you what they wouldn't do so that you're not writing something that, that's against their general um, like makeup. They have to surprise you as well, like any human being can go against type. But in general, in books, people are very unforgiving about characters that are really good people, and then they go do something awful, you know, um, to, to weigh an ex to an extreme. I, I thought about, you know, Brett. Here's this, this farm boy from Delavan. And, you know, Delavan, uh, by the way, was a circus town in the 1800s. Huge. P.T. Barnum got named and started there. Um, and it was a winter place where they all came because of the food and the water and the, the, the vast fields and things for the circus animals. So it's this huge circus town, which ended in the late 1800s. And I lied and made it cross over with my story, of course. But, uh, you know, I hope they don't haunt me for that. But, um, but so here's this guy who's a farm guy, circus town, has some culture, but not a lot. And then, boom, he's in this giant world professional sports with a microscope, newspaper people all over him and, and uh, first year. So there's a microscope on that and he's got to do well. And then he could lose it all by being gay. And then he goes to gay clubs. And, uh, and there's a scene in the, in the book, the first one he goes to, where he has a meltdown. I don't think that's a spoiler to say he has a meltdown. And I think that's a pretty accurate view I think of uh, the show Queer as Folk, where Justin goes to his first gay bar, and he's out on the street looking at everything, and you have this, like, zoom vision, and he, like, freaks out at first, like he's not sure what to do. And I kind of envision that for Brett. Um, and Jean-Paul is the other side. He's been in it for four or five years. He's about 25, so 
he's has more experience with it and he's maybe a little bit too cavalier about his love life and that. So they interact differently in those clubs. One is shy and the other is dashing and he owns the place. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And then of course there's, you know, as they kind of push and pull on each other through the book too, which I thought made their romance or their attempts at romance, you know, quite an interesting read because it wasn't just two gay hockey players coming together. It was very different experience, very different expectations as well. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, I compare them, uh, which, you know, I read Hat Trick later, but I compare them, you know, Simon and Alex, who, um, you know, when they go to their club, they're like, ha, it's like a whole new world for them. And, and they're both ready for love. They're both ready for a relationship in their life. They're, they're maybe freaked out about coming out and freaked out about what could happen. But they're, they were like emotionally ready for that. And um, Jean-Paul isn't. And, and Brett maybe is quick, quickly. You know, sometimes you forget that when you're reading a book, the age of the characters in the book. And you're like, oh, somebody, they would be much more cautious than that. Like, not when they're 17, they wouldn't. When they're 17 or 18, they're going to make dumb mistakes, like come out in front of a very homophobic father, you know. They have all this data that says hide, and they come out anyway mm -hmm. because, you know, kids are brave and, and sometimes foolish, you know, and sometimes those are the same thing, you know. Yeah, exactly. You know, the idea, um, the idea for the long season, uh, you know, a lot of people ask, like, where do you get your idea? Or where do you get your ideas? I'm sure you've been asked. Like, where do you get your ideas? And and I, I know that you know reading your stuff that you've uh, uh, you play hockey and uh, so you know obviously some of those ideas come from there and and we can talk more about that. But my idea um, came from a very specific place. Like we talked earlier about like why I wrote the book and why I had all those ideas in it. But the actual spark of this book came from one picture. Um, I got it here. I'll show you. So, so um, I was reading a hockey chronicle, and that somebody gave me. It's called the 20th Century Hockey Chronicle. And uh, flipping through these old pictures, and it's amazing. And I don't know if you'll be able to see it, but I came across this picture here. I don't know if you can yeah. see that one right there. Yeah, that comes across okay. pretty well. So, so this guy right here is looking over here. He's not looking at the camera, it doesn't look like to me. So I'm looking at this picture, and that's the 1907 Kenora Thistles. They won the Stanley Cup. They were an underdog team uh, from Ontario. They, they, they just challenged for the Cup, and they won it, and they shouldn't have. Um, and actually, Art Ross was on that team. You know, We all know who he is. And, um, but I was just looking at it, and they looked kind of... Well, chummy and, and their legs, instead of being straightforward, they were leaned over on each other. And then the one guy's looking across like he's looking at one of their players and it just, boom, what if? I had a what if moment. What if two of those guys were in a relationship and nobody knew? And it just, I spent six months writing that story mm -hmm. because it was just powerful to me. You know, back then pictures were, it wasn't a selfie nation. Pictures right. were planned out where you position yourself. They took a little longer to develop. So people didn't just, hey, and they pile over each other. All the other pictures had the guy sitting straight up, stiff, looking forward, legs straight, you know, maybe arm around each other, but nothing like this. This was very uh, high in camaraderie. And it just, I don't know, it sparked me and made me think, like, what if they were gay? What if a couple of those guys were gay? Which I have no proof of. Uh, Kenora fans, don't send me hate mail. I have no idea. Um, <laughs> and I could have wrote about those guys. You know, um, Art Ross would have probably been a little tricky. Uh, you know, because he's got the scoring title trophy named after him. Everybody knows his name in hockey. Um, but I don't have a connection necessarily with Kenora, so I had to move it to where I do. Of course, Chicago. You know. It's interesting you talk about the spark because I mean, you're right. The hat trick books do have the spark of like the what if because I was I, I was doing some very early morning hockey practices for a number of years and I got to know this trio of guys uh, they were straight out of high school they played high school hockey and now they were coming to this practice just because their coach was doing it and the more I got to know them the more I saw the bond that these three had and yeah. how tight and how 
just fluid everything was. And I was like, what if two of them was were gay? Mm. And the other didn't know it, and their team didn't know it. Yeah. And there was born the trio of Simon, Alex, and Jackson. Yeah. Got, got to bring up Jackson, really? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> right. um, no spoilers. No spoilers, sorry. <laughs> Huh. Well, that, that's kind of cool that you fictionalize these people that you actually knew and met. That, that's interesting. And I mean heavily fictionalized yeah, because yeah. this trio isn't gay at all. It was just like, well, what if tight mm-hmm. friends, you know? Yeah. What's the reaction to the book been? Particularly locally, since you're right around the corner from Anderson Books and where it all started. Yeah. Um, I think it's been really good. You know, Anderson's Bookshop asked me, Becky Anderson is a wonderful uh, um, bookseller and uh, supporter. She, she, her and, and uh, Anderson's Bookshop have donated to Youth Outlook uh, tremendously in the past. You know, it's an organization I'm on the board of directors for that helps uh, LGBTQ plus youth uh, with drop-in centers and um, um, community outreach and education programs. So she's been really helpful donating things to our charity auctions. So I've been kind of connected with her since I won the Pitchapalooza and got to talking about Youth Outlook and all that. So they've been really great. So they said, hey, host your book release party here. And I said, there's no other option for me. That's that's exactly where I wanted to do it. And uh, I had over 110, 120 people show up. Um, they sold 120 books. And I signed all of them in one day, uh, which was a lot of work, but it was so much fun. And I did a, a talk and a book reading and, um, it was well received. And there's a book trailer, which I know was linked on your, uh, a review of my book. Um, I believe, but there's a book trailer, which I had so much fun writing. I think it's been received very well so far. I've been, um, I've been surprised with, with some of the, um, how this sounds, but I've been surprised a little bit by so many straight people have said, your book is amazing. That I really loved it. And that makes me so happy because people across genres are reporting that they like it and they're interested and they're like, oh, Brett is such a this or Jean-Paul, you know, that cat and, and all that. And I'm like, wow, that's really great. And I wonder about the, the, the you know, the, 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 the love scenes in there. And I wonder like how that went across when they were reading it. But you know, the other side of it is like on Goodreads and, and Amazon's. I'm getting Amazon. I'm getting really good reviews, um, and there's a couple not so good reviews, and, and that's okay. And, yeah, it um, happens. It it does. And a friend of mine told me, uh, he's an artist, an architect, and he told me, you know, this is I birth this piece of architecture. It's my baby, and it's mine. You can't say anything about it until I give it, and it's done. Mm-hmm. Then it's no longer mine. It's theirs, and everybody interprets it how they want to. And the internet is full of uh, the old adage: "Likers like, haters comment." And you know, people who love something click like and put a little heart on it. People that hate it, they write and tell you what, exactly what they hated. And it was hard. The first couple were hard to read, um, and I taught myself to um, limit my reviewing to like ten minutes a day tops if I even look at something. Oh, new review, good, I'll glance at it, breathe it in, breathe it out, and move on. You know, if something sticks, I'll use it for um, making myself better. I mean, if something really clicks with me, you know. Uh, my friend RJ uh, published a, a game called Dragon Farkle, and uh, it's out there now, and it's really fun, and I helped him with some of it, and, and it's been really well received. He told me that he went, like, obsessed with reviews at first and then he said eventually he had to just let it go and limit 10 minutes a day in the morning before work turn it off and that's it you can't let it drag you down because you know likers like haters comment we've talked a little bit about you know my hat trick book especially the first one versus uh long season and looking at contemporary romances and expanding it out a little bit like serena bowen's got the him and us yeah. Yeah. Uh, duo with uh, that she writes with L. Kennedy. She also wrote. Uh, Serena also wrote the understatement of the year, which I know you haven't read it. You really need to. Um, it's interesting to me to see between the contemporary and a book that's set some ninety years ago, mm-hmm. the 
how much some things have changed and how much some things really haven't. Uh, whether it's in terms of just being gay and out or, yeah. you know, more specifically being gay inside of sports. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about that as, you know, having read some of these and also written your own now? Yeah, you know, earlier you had asked about um, why why historical fiction and not contemporary. And it's a conversation that I had with my publisher as well. Like, you know, because you really should be challenged on all of your ideas so that, you know, you make them thoughtfully and there are so many things about the 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 time of the 20s in historical fiction about gays and, and that are, are relatively similar to like the 2000s going into now the the kind of boom in the start although back then it sort of collapsed and and now we're seeing it continue to grow and there's opposition to gay rights and LGBT rights but um, it's generally becoming much less favorable to be anti-LGBT than in the past, um, so hopefully that continues, right? But the contemporary ideas, um, I'm like reading in, in Hat Trick, where um, I think the team's response, um, hopefully no spoiler, but I think the team's response, and maybe the group, the society around Simon Alex, their response is, um, I, I feel most contemporaries is different than it would have been if the Blackhawks uh, were to find out earlier in the book that, um, you know, that uh, these guys are gay. Uh, I, I got a feeling, and it's, I have no back, facts to back, back it up because it never happened. And I think that's part of the key, that in the 20s, there were zero out sports figures on any team of any kind. So anything you read that says, like, there was acceptance, there were acceptance in drag clubs and the drag balls that happened at the Coliseum Annex and where people came to like, like, like people do now, uh, bridal parties are huge at drag clubs. You know, there's that acceptance. There's also more acceptance now outside of those clubs. Back then, you know, it was, you got to be careful. You could lose your job. You could be killed. It could be, you know, anything could happen. And the further away you went from Tower Town, exponentially less safe. You know, so I think the contemporary stuff, there's so much similar to that because depending on where you're at in America, depending on how far away you are, uh, if you're in a red state or, or a red county, you know, highly conservative values, it, it could be less supports for you, less knowledge. There are still many places in the United States of America where it is very dangerous to come out. Um, so that, that's very analogous to, to my story in the 20s. That, that danger. So for me, writing about the danger isn't a thing of the past. It's still there. And some of those kids need to grab that book and go, I, I relate to that. Mm -hmm. But I think I can make it out, you know. And then they read like Hat Trick or, or uh, um, Him, and, which is a great book. I haven't read Us yet, but Him was, was very good. Um, they give you such hope and such idea of what can happen. Which is, by the way, um, um, happening in, in society because look at the You Can Play project sure. and mm -hmm. the um, Pride, I forget the name of it, the Pride Tape project where they're selling hockey tape. That, right, there you go. Awesome. <laughs> On your shirt. Which is amazing. And, um, you know, if you can play, you can play. is such an, a, a great idea. Yeah. It could not have happened in the 80s and 90s. It couldn't have. It, people weren't ready for that. We need a, an NHL player to come out, and you know there's lots of gay NHL players. You know there are, and um, they've said it. People like Michael Sam uh, on, on the um, where he ended up. Well, he ended up out, but he was in uh, St. Louis, I think, for a little while, and then went to Montreal to play in the Canadian leagues for football. He said he had lots of calls from other gay players, but they were all in the closet, and they thought he was brave, but they wouldn't come out. And I just feel like it's time. You know, Gary Bettman, I'm, I'm pausing for people to boo, uh, but Gary Bettman, you know, the commissioner of the NHL, uh, he released an article not too long ago where he said the NHL is ready for a gay player, come out if you want to. When I was a kid, oh man, that, they would never even said it. So you mentioned you're writing something now. What is coming up next for you? Um, my next book, I, I wanted to, to challenge myself to... Uh, do something more or less completely different. 
Um, I've written a draft for a, a, a kid's picture book that's uh, not LGBT themed, it's, it's bullying themed, um, you know, which is everything themed really. Um, and that's, you know, my special needs background. I, that's very near and dear to me. So, um, and that, that is an adaptation from my One Angry Koala comic book that I wrote and sold really well. I turned that into a kid's picture book. So I'm working on that. And then the novel that I'm writing is a steampunk young adult novel with uh, uh, gay uh, LGBT characters in it. Uh, the two main characters are both um, gay. So that's I'm working on that. That's set in Victorian era uh, Ireland and England. It's steampunk, sci-fi uh, versus magic. Um, whole world building, so it's very different than than historical because it's although steampunk is historical enough where there's so many steampunk fans that you can't mess around with their playground and change things too much because they this kind of has this set like it like it really happened almost feel to it, which has been amazing. Flying ships, and I've learned so much about seamanship and names of masts and. Uh, <laughs> all kinds of you know the all that stuff, but I'm trying to be as realistic about it as I can. The, the difference that with this one is I am not overburdening myself with the research for the first draft. I'm I'm going to go back in the second draft and add more research-based stuff. So um, I started writing it in NaNoWriMo, National Novel Writing Month, um, where I believe we we connected uh, doing that and. I, I failed to finish it during that month, but it gave me almost half the way there. Nice. And then I've been working on it ever since. And I promise that I will finish that draft before NaNoWriMo this year, okay. before November 1st, um, and get that working. Cool. So, and that's going to be a trilogy, the steampunk book. Okay. It's, it's planned. Then maybe a long season sequel. I don't know. So we should tell people before we go uh, yeah. that we've teamed up for a giveaway. Yes. So there's going to be a raffle copter on the show notes page that folks can enter to use to get the chance to win. Uh, the prize will be a copy of your ebook of the long season, as well as a copy, an ebook of the first tri- the first book in the Hat Trick series, and then they'll just have this uh, look at young hockey players, past and present. So anybody who's interested can check that out on the uh, show notes page. And I appreciate Michael that you offered up a copy of your book to our listeners. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm proud to have it next to Hat Trick. I really did enjoy that book. So what's the best way for people to keep up with your work? MichaelVanceGurley.com is a great place. Uh, Facebook.com slash TheLongSeason is a great place because uh, as I go into something else, I'll make announcements on that. Um, you know, and, and find me on Facebook and, and you know, try to friend me and follow me on there is a great way. Um, those are the two main things right now. Awesome. Well, Michael, thank you so much. It's been a, it's been a blast talking to you. Thanks. I've had a good time. I appreciate you offering you having me come over here on and uh, and join you on the uh, on the interwebs. Thank you to Michael Vance Gurley for stopping by and talking to us about his new book. And remember, there's another 25 minutes of bonus material available where Jeff and Michael talk about plotting versus pantsing, the pitchapalooza, and his editing process, advice for first-time authors, and of course, yeah. They talk about more hockey. We were chitty chatty <laughs> a lot. So make sure you check out the bonus material available where? On the show notes for this page, or if you're on the podcast, it's also in the feed. Awesome. Uh, and remember that Michael and I are teamed up for a giveaway. There's another rafflecopter on the show notes page for episode 42 <laughs> that will be running through the end of the day on Sunday, July 31st. You got a chance to win a, an ebook copy of his long season book, as well as my ebook of Hat Trick. Wait, wait, wait. Another Rafflecopter? I know, it's crazy. That's amazing. Double giveaways this week. So we've got not one, but two Rafflecopters going and And a a poll. So much amazing stuff going on on the show notes page. Please. Go click. (laughs) A lot. (laughs) Go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com and check out all the amazing stuff that's going on. On episode 42, some show notes. Mm -hmm. Now, coming up next week, episode 43, one of our very favorite people, Wade Kelly's here. She's going to be here for this 2016 GRL blog tour, talk about her new book in the Jock series and what she's looking forward to in Kansas City. Sounds good. Yeah. That's it for this week. We will see you back here next time. Thank you for listening to Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. 
New episodes are available every Monday at iTunes and other major podcast outlets. While there, subscribe to the show and please consider leaving a review. For detailed show notes, links, and to sign up for the monthly newsletter, visit BigGayFictionPodcast.com. Big Gay Fiction Podcast.